You are listening to WHIVLP New Orleans 102.3. This is Good Morning Comrade. Uh, we have a very special returning champion guest. It's been a while, actually, since we've had you on the show, uh, Diana. When was I think we talked about baseball. I think we talked about wrestling one time, right? I feel like it was still pandemic era, as in, like, we were, like, on Zoom because that was the only way we were communicating with people. Yeah. Like, it was early, so it was a while ago. Um, yeah. Anyway, Diana, Diana yes. Hussein, but returning to the program, we have Diana Hussein. Uh, um, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Um, our, we can maybe talk offline about some intro, like walk-up music you could play with that um, introduction <laughs> just, you just gave just, me as the reigning champion here. A returning champion, yeah. We, we, you need your own intro music, like a pro wrestler. Yeah, right? um, we can we could <laughs> talk about, I got to brainstorm what that would be, but um, we can figure you, that out. Yeah, if you were a pro wrestler, what would your entrance music be? <laughs> mm, that is, I mean, like, that's such a fun question. And it's so annoying because, like, it's literally one that I can't figure out what mine would be because I'm like, oh, it's just, like, too fun of a question. There's so many. It's such a fun question. I guess it would depend on what my gimmick was, I think. Yeah. So I would, I would need to actually think about, like, what is my gimmick exactly? What music would make sense? I would so overthink that question because I'm that mm. much of a nerd. <laughs> That's true. I, I will say, and, and look, we're both nerds for wrestling, just to sort of like get us a little bit launched off on some of the, you know, the fun stuff on the show. But uh, I will say that one of the funniest things that you and I talk about, like regularly, is Kevin Nash and just like the thumbnails that are on his uh, little YouTube channel. <laughs> You'll just see, I like, love it. It is, first of all, I am so Detroiter. happy. Detroiter. <laughs> Detroiter, absolutely. But like, let me just say, I am two for two. I'm not even kidding. My two top all time favorite pro wrestlers, as in I was like a teenage girl, 13, fangirling, having dozens of posters in my room and everything, <laughs> rather than in Sync and Backstreet Boys in this era. I had Kevin Nash and Bret Hart. Uh, Kevin Nash was the one I was in love with. Bret Hart, I was just like, he's my favorite. There was no like, I love him. I want to marry him. But mm -hmm. those two ended up being pretty good people in this yeah. day and era in which they are not problematic. In fact, they're quite pretty good and like actively yeah. good. Kevin Nash, <laughs> he's a little bit of a lib, but it's like endearing as hell because he's just like out there about it. He's like, he's an anti-Trumpers and it's great. Like, Think about it. Hulk Hogan, for example. Like, that's, that's, that's the other end of how pro wrestlers yeah. turn out these days. <laughs> yeah. My favorite thing, just not to get into it too much, but, like, I just love seeing him post on his Twitter. If you look at his, his Kevin Nash Twitter or whatever, he's just, like, complaining about, like, oh, man, the leg room on Southwest is just terrible. <laughs> poor, poor big guy. What a sweet, dude, you know? what a sweetheart. <laughs> Anyway, we didn't have we didn't have you on to talk about this though. We could talk about this all night, I imagine. But uh, the we definitely did. Kevin Nash. Oh my gosh, <laughs> and the thumbnails just even more Big important. Sexy. The thumbnails. Big Daddy <laughs> Cool Diesel. Big Daddy. <laughs> That's right. 
But no, I want to talk to you just about a number of things, just because one, we need to catch up. And then two, I mean, you're a Detroiter yourself. You know, we're in the middle of a solidarity summer right now. And solidarity I mean, September. Yeah. Solidarity summer, solidarity September, solidarity season. I've been hearing going around. Uh, and I mean, you're a Detroiter and like the big three auto workers, the um, UAW are on strike right now. Mm. Um, not that that goes along with what's been going on with uh, the screen actors and the writers. Um, and like, like there's just so much union activity happening right now. And I just wanted to talk to you about it. So I don't know, just sort of like off the top, like. First off, I mean, yeah, what's how, how is it feeling like right now, just knowing that something is happening and and all this is, so is going? It's pretty exciting. Um, I just have one more to add on. I think we can just say solidarity era. So okay. solidarity, okay. we are in our solidarity era right now. Is Ooh. what's happening. Solidarity. There, it it is <laughs> true that there's a lot of workers on strike but i would say like the thing that's really like key here is like it's a lot of like prominent public facing unions that people recognize on strike and industries that people are very familiar with and are huge economic engines in the u.s these days in which others tend to be outsourced like this over the years like well, obviously, UAW jobs have clearly been outsourced over the years. But I'm just saying, like, when it comes to, like, these unions in particular, they're digestible for the greater public. And I think that's, like, key in this. And I think that's really great because it's giving other unions, smaller shops, smaller properties, smaller organizing drives, momentum themselves. So I just want to, like, sorry, I not, see, I'm sorry, no, I can no. see Jeff on the, on the screen and he has his finger <laughs> no, up. I'm like, jump right in, that. comrade. No, not just that. Like, these are jobs that are extremely identifiable with, like, a lot of regular yeah. people's image of what an American, like, worker is, right? Like, oh, when you think of an American worker, like, you know, obviously it's a lot more complicated than this. But, like, for a person on CNN or whatever that's talking about the American worker, like, somebody who works at a, a factory putting together cars in Detroit is, like, the that, – that's the – sort of like the 1950s version of what you would mm -hmm. think about when you would say something like that. And so, like, it fits right, yeah. into... I mean, obviously, it's more complicated. I mean, like, workers everywhere, all over the place, like, need rights and <laughs> need good yes. pay and, and good yes. benefits and all the other things. But this is something that's very easy to say, like, look at these workers. They want something. They have been getting screwed over for the past 40 years, and, you know, it's time to, it's time to give them what's theirs. See, and the CEOs are just the best villains for this case as well. Oh yeah, they're so they're so good at it. They're so good at being natural villains. And mm -hmm. I I will just say, just to add on to that point, like I think like even as much as like the UAW auto workers are always kind of like the stereotypical like image mm -hmm. of of what a union member is, but like you know actors aren't necessarily that. And so it's just like the visibility of these kind of like roles and their impact on mm -hmm. people's lives. I think it's just like really cool to see and. Um, I think the real key thing here, and I, I think it was Fran Dresser who kind of like touched on it in that big speech she gave at the start of their strike. And it is it is like this is happening across all sorts of industries where there is like increasingly more income inequality. It's just more rich at the top and less rich at the bottom. And it's just more and more and more. And 
doesn't matter if you're a CEO of an entertainment company or a CEO of an auto industry, you're making so much more money than anyone has ever made in history. And yeah. yet people are struggling to get by that are the ones that are creating this opportunity and wealth that you're enjoying right now. Like, it's like, it sounds so simple, right? It's so simple, us versus them. But it's true. And it's not us that is creating that dynamic. It's them by continuing to demand more and more, whether it's more money for their profits and pockets or more workloads and more on, on, on the workers to, um, you know, give them more of that wealth. Yeah. I mean, it's so it's gone so far. It's gotten so clear that you have like CNN reporters talking to like the what was it gm mary uh, Barra, yes yeah the girl boss that's over there and like saying like how can you defend the fact that you make like 30 billion dollars a year or whatever while workers are have not gotten a raise <laughs> since the, the she said it. she's like i think she i think she was like straight up was like well yeah my my money my income is tied directly to like the success of the company and it's like two things that i hear when she says that she's acknowledging one workers do good she does good so thank yeah. you workers and two same thing can be said for the workers when the company does better they should do better yeah and so the company is doing better and it's entirely off their backs and so it's just like very telling bob i uh igor igor out there saying things like this is unreasonable um well he's making so much money i think it was stellanis who was like an aruba when he's saying that like the uaw members are asking so cool. for too much <laughs> like it's just like incredible they're self-awareness they're at your disconnect from reality you're at your vacation getaway in, in Aruba or whatever, and you're like, oh, man, these workers, what do they want from us? Come on. <laughs> Excuse me. I'm going to go back and hit the waves. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing. Like, as, like, you know, hotel bosses are on their yachts on the 4th of July weekend, like, the hotel workers were on strike in L.A., like, demanding, like, the ability to live somewhat near where they're working their asses off in those hotels yeah. in, like, a very highly tourist um, market in, like, L.A. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And and again, that's happening. That's hap that's something that's happening in many places. Yeah, um, it's like that. a very like you just there's so many stories and anecdotes of these people just being so ghoulish like that. It's <laughs> it's remarkable. And I will say, like, the thing that's really changing every day is that people they're no longer like willing to tolerate it. I definitely can say the pandemic ripped open the, the bandaid or um took down the fourth wall in a way where like oh yeah well it turns out our bosses suck our government sucks so what do we have right now that mm -hmm. brings us to this moment right now because people are realizing more and more what they have is each other and that's through the union yeah yeah that that is the one place and i, I say this often on the show like it's the the, the unions are the room like the one working class institution out of like churches that that working class very, people have very, there's a lot of parallels for sure mm -hmm. and and that's sort of like the one place where <laughs> where we can kind of come together and we can like i don't know see the commonality amongst one another not not just in our yes, own parallels in a good way i should say like i said that yeah. in a way because i'm like pointing out like it's the good things about like religious like community that i see parallels of in unions and yeah. honestly like 
I will say that the thing is like the the stuff that attracts like Trump supporters, like it is like a religion to them. Like you you go to these rallies and there's like a spirituality to it. It's positive. It's loving in their own little world of whatever bullshit love they have. That community but it's still like it's the religion. It's like the replacement of like an increasingly less religious world to like what do we need? Mm-hmm. And like that's why union should be there for people. That's natural for people to want community. Yeah. That is that is a hundred percent correct. Cause like there is this sort of idea that at least like while the world everything is against specifically like when you mentioned the Trump the Trump supporters and Trump people or whatever, like they're united in this sort of like the world is against them. And so they see themselves as the only um the only like the last resort. And yeah, no and, and again, like this is something that's like unions specifically are something that is not fear-based this is something that is commonality based this is something that is a commonality because we all work for a living we all get paid less than we deserve and we get the benefits that we don't deserve that we that that we that are less than we deserve for a living so like i don't know solidarity so uh yeah so you're from detroit and as we're talking about these sorts of things it's really interesting at least to me to get the perspective because the auto industry is like very identifiable with Detroit specifically as a city, you know, what is it? Uh, what is it like to see? I mean, I, I do remember the, the uh, GM workers went on strike in like 2019. Mm-hmm. This is significantly different than that because this is all three um, workers from all three major auto, auto manufacturers that are on strike right now. And I guess, I wanted to hear your perspective as a Detroiter on like what it's like to see this happening for the first time mm-hmm. ever, really. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool. Like we're talking about this kind of moment we're in where people are recognizing that there's like an unfair thing happening in this power dynamic at the workplace and being willing to stand up against that. I think it's just really cool that like Detroit is kind of seeing a moment in all this because Detroit, of course, has a lot of roots to the labor movement and its history in the U.S. And I think that's kind of cool because I think it's really important for this moment to be a lot of calling back to the history of this movement. Yeah, and I've, heard so, Walter, like, I've heard Walter Ruther's name more in the past week than I've heard in my entire life. <laughs> listen, I, I don't hate that, right? Like, I, <laughs> I, I started working, I do communications for a labor union, shout out, Unite Here, Hospitality Workers. I've been doing this 10, or not, oh my God, not 10 years, eight years Um, in a month in October, it'll be eight years. And when I first started, like, it was really hard to try to engage general reporters on labor stories, like, you had like a very small group of labor reporters at that time because it was when there was none. And so like shout out to the OG crew still out there killing it, like Hamilton, Nolan, folks like that. But um, I just think since then, it's been just a lot more easy to have conversations with reporters about like why like a worker's perspective or a labor story is key to like their beat, whether it's labor or not. And so, like, it's just been really interesting seeing that change. And I think, like, having it kind of come back to Detroit in this moment is just really, really exciting. I grew up in the shadow with the big three. Specifically, I grew up in Dearborn. That is the birthplace of the automobile. That is where Henry Ford is from. 
and like not even gonna go on a like side rabbit hole about Henry Ford yet like right now like that's not gonna happen because I can but um you know it's just really really powerful to see the UAW take this on in this in this way because you know like even growing up in Dearborn that all being said like I wasn't really taught labor as a thing that's ongoing. It was history and that's it. It was something in the past. It was great. They had sit down strikes. They did stuff. They won stuff for us today. And thank you. They can go to go rest, rest easy now, labor movement. And it's like, no, there's organizing that will forever be needing to happen. We will never have to stop organizing. And so I just think like, that is very interesting. Like the kind of education I got growing up in Dearborn and how, it really did kind of instill this like stereotype of what a union member was. And I never related to that, but I ended up finding my way into this particular union that is particularly like progressive and, you know, engages in like social justice stuff, uh, whatever you want to refer to it. And I like that about this union, but I think it's just like really powerful to see that, you know, right now, like we are seeing the UAW, we are seeing actors, we are seeing writers, we're seeing hotel workers, um potentially soon casino workers in las vegas um september 26 50,000 workers in the las vegas strip are voting on whether or not they're gonna go out on strike um and i just gotta like say that there's gonna that's gonna have ramifications in other parts of the con and uh, the um, country for example detroit's casinos contracts are also just expiring so i imagine whatever happens in vegas is not going to stay in vegas <laughs> i cannot believe that was the natural trajectory of that sentence. That was unintentional until like the last two words where I was like, I might as well go with it and finish this. Just off. vibe through it. Just vibe through it. Are you saying what? that are you saying that uh that uh that Las Vegas strip workers are gonna go on strike on my birthday, the twenty seventh? Oh, I'm saying that they're going to vote on whether or not they're going to authorize oh. a strike at any point. I'm not saying they're going to go on on strike, Jeff. Gotcha. I got gotcha. you. I, I see what you're saying. <laughs> um, no, I'm saying more- like the strike authorization vote is very, very powerful because important. it's like it's a symbolic important. message of unity. And I can tell you something. I would I'd be willing to guess that the percentage of workers who are going to vote yes for that is going to match the percentage of workers in the right to work state of nevada that are members of the culinary that pay union dues yeah so it'll be that's what that is percentage. yeah 100 <laughs> percent. i'll tell you 98 percent. that's my guess that's uh i hope so. i hope you're right i hope you're right and that is really exciting uh to see that 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 again you know we have people standing up everywhere i mean there's a massive uh you know, uh, contract campaign happening all up the east, all up the east coast, uh, and property services, janitors, and 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 things like that. Um, people really aren't talking about this in the mainstream media right now, but um, there's there's multiple contracts that are going up in like over this fall, and yeah. there's there's various sort of things around that that are taking place as well See, this is what this is something i think is very underrated and telling the story about the labor movement right now like this moment we're having right we're talking about large-scale strikes because that's the only kind of coverage that editors are going to improve reporters to go cover and so like they got to be like some big like narrative setting like trend defining story for reporters to get the sign off and their editors to cover it So what Mm -hmm. we're missing is that, like, 
so-called incremental organizing moments, those new contracts, not first contracts, not just winning the union, we're getting our first contract fights even. I mean, that's exciting like, too, but it's second, a different Second, third, fourth legacy contract renewal in this moment where workers are having leverage and power in the bargaining table, like we're winning major gains. And like, that's not going to make the news because that's like, there's no one in like contract victory how look at the grievances workers are winning these days because they're actually like more engaging with their unions that have existed there for a while and like their reps are like winning like mm -hmm. hr doesn't want to mess with a union rep these days like it's paying off like the momentum isn't just going to translate to like union density grows massively overnight <laughs> there's reasons that's not happening there's just union busting tactics favor like the companies oh. over blah 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 labor law sucks we know that's the reason but mm -hmm. like that's what they point to as like well you're seeing the headlines and strikes but like union memberships not growing what's happening is like the solidarity and, and union like just that union movement is is just mm -hmm. growing stronger and 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 i think that once we sort of I mean, again we're, we're coming off of a, a generation of the like a, a, a like a concentrated generation of like concerted government union busting that started prior to Reagan, but really kind of hit its like stride. Oh, yeah, and really with. defines it. And it's kind of funny because in a lot of ways you see the charts and it's like whoop, right at Reagan yeah. too. And, and the union, yeah, union membership sort of took a dive by then and it's been taking a dive ever since. But, um, and, and that came, you know, in no small part because of the busting of the, the Patco, you know, air traffic control strike amongst other things. Which, man, uh, don't get me started. The hardest, on thing, <laughs> the hardest thing to overcome in organizing is people's fear, like their natural yeah. fear. And that like really defined when the president made a move like that. Like you can imagine how like, whoa, I don't want to mess with someone who can do that to my workplace. And if I was trying mm -hmm. to unionize, like that's real. And I could mm -hmm. see like that being part of the culture shift because like people's opinions on union membership also declined. And I think it was a lot of like the propaganda of like the companies and people in power, like being really, really deliberate about it, making mm -hmm. it be like, you know, ultimately, like if you unionizing, you're basically choosing to like make us fire you kind of yeah. stuff. And yeah, Reagan really, really like defined that for moments. But I, I think what's happening is like working people are calling bullshit, like that they're like calling bullshit and going for it because they have nothing else to lose. Things are really, really dire. And it's, it's just like, like people are really, really starting to understand their own power. Yeah. And, and so we mentioned uh, a bad example of United States president who in their impact on labor law. And uh, I wanted to kind of talk to you about the sort of uh, the current sort of deal that we're dealing with, which is, um, I mean, again, when Joe Biden ran for president in 20, you know, 2020, uh, he said he was going to be the most pro-union president in the history of this country. And I mean, first off, let me just say that is a very, very, very low bar. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, and then really, especially in recent history, for sure, that bar is not that high, yeah. which is why I will say, like, I, I think in oh, that way, <laughs> he's succeeding for sure. I think mm -hmm. Biden is certainly far more pro-union than the last few decades of Democrats. <laughs> like, so I think it's very interesting, right? Like that bar being so low, that moment 
like I said, being so dire for so many people, like, is it is it enough where the bar is low and you cross and that's great. We should be happy and grateful. But no, like, how are we taking advantage of this moment where we have this so-called pro-union administration? All right. Like, what can we do to work together to figure out that relationship? How can we rally under this sort of this this sort of you know under this cover and it's and it's more than just like a pat on the head unions are good sunny boy yeah, kind of thing. yeah I mean, it is it's like how are you using the executive power that you have to do things it's very funny i've like i think there's like you know folks recognize this like a theory about joe biden like he's probably like you know having a lot of handlers run a lot of decisions and like public facing comments But I really, I believe in my heart that if there's one thing that Joe Biden is genuine about, it's his love for labor unions in a way that's kind of like a callback to like a era of Democrats that comes like pre-Obama, pre-Clinton and like back to a actual age where Democrats were labor Democrats. And so it's kind of like this like circle of life thing, maybe. I don't know. Like he's so old that he's like a callback to an old era. He remembers the time him and Corn Pop remember the time before. Well, and I I think he just genuinely likes the like good old boys club vibe of like being in front of a union hall. Like he like riffs with members. Like he did that at the AFL CIO and affiliate endorsement rally in Philly. Like he was vibing with people. Like those clips. (laughs) weren't as like public as like his kind of riffing with the uh, Republicans at the state of the union. But like, there were kind of really funny moments. He's got like back and forth with people calling out in the crowd. Like I just think Biden loves that vibe. And like, he's like, Oh yeah, I I love the union guys, hard hats They're you know, and just like (laughs) vibing with them. And then you get like spokespeople on the record being like, you know, we just hope both sides come to a good agreement. That's a win for all. And it's like, yeah. And then he's going to Chris Small saying, got me in trouble. We're coming after you, Amazon. Like, I just think we got to let Joe Biden be Joe Biden because Mm -hmm. he, I think his off the cuff, just love for labor could really translate into some crazy ass executive order. (laughs) <laughs> well, and we've also seen something, and we talked about this with uh, our friend David on the show uh, about the Semex decision that happened within the NLRB, which made you know made organizing a union or union busting more penalizing, and and uh, you know it, it it is something that there there is policy behind just the talk as well. Like, there's more to it than just the talk. I think I would I would actually say it's more appointments than policy because it's it's policy where i get a little stuck and i'll just be real i think i think there's like movement in the right direction i think like this like blitz the administration went on right before labor day to do all this like pro-union activity was like a sign that like they're trying to take advantage of the labor day media cycle and be out there on like worker rights because like they know they want to win next year and this is what you got to do. It's good. It's a good sign. And I, I think that the, it's promising. I do think there's an onus a little on the labor movement and unions to figure out how to work this relationship. I think there's a lot of institutional hurdles of DC that we need to figure out as an organizing project, project, how to get over. I'm talking about like the schmoozing, the relationships that are required in DC 
to like, you know, have something with a staffer that's going to prioritize to their boss your thing. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's organizing. And I think that like unions have to kind of like recognize that in this moment before anything changes in it, because you do have people like Pete Buttigieg is going to listen to labor unions. I think so. I think I've seen it in a lot of ways that the DOT and and I think that there's been a lot of progress and like things that fall under his thing when it comes to like unions figuring out how to work with that relationship. I mean, obviously, like the NLRB general counsel, Jennifer Abruzzo, is a really, really great appointment in that role. But like it goes back to day one of Biden's administration where his first act was to fire Trump's um, general counsel. That I forgot his name. So I just think that like there are kind of signs. We just have to figure out how to work it. Like, what is the executive order we want to say Biden should do? Because like we can't just say pro act. Biden can't do the pro act. We tried that too. It's not Biden's fault that we don't have a pro act in in a direct way. He's a part of the pro act, and and the thing is, I mean, he loves saying pro act. He loves saying pro act. Yeah, he would still say it if we reminded him. I'm sure. (laughs) <laughs> but no, no. You, I mean, you, unfortunately, you got Congress that you, that you got to deal with, and um, and unfortunately, yeah, the Democrats generally just are not good at uh, at, at at winning those kinds of fights. <laughs> They'll just rather they're not good at. Up. They're just like they're just like unions. They're not good at bragging about themselves because it's like a good union doesn't have it in its nature to be like out there being like, "Good job, we just did an organizing victory." The public should know. Like, we're not good at that. We're like we don't want right to work foundation to like get ahead of us now like we can't celebrate this like new union before we get a contract like i think there's a lot of things that are fair and we have to be strategic about it but i do think that like like in the same way democrats there are things like for this is like very unite here niche so i apologize for this one but the commerce department gina Romando, the secretary of commerce went to china and like engaged their representatives on opening group travel back to the u.s it has not happened since covid this is actually like a big impact on like unite here members because in the mm-hmm. cities we have the highest density are going to be cities like san francisco and honolulu and la like markets that have a lot of chinese group travel and so it's actually going to impact the economy there in like mm-hmm. billions kind of way is going to impact jobs we've had a lot of struggle winning back jobs because these companies have really cut jobs even as they're getting better it's going to impact our members who rely on tips and like people coming back to the cities and it's like they're not really out there about this it's like you got something that like the industry and unions are on your side you did something good good job like what are you saying about it and i just think like you know we're trying to work with them and figure that out but like we as a union have to push them so i just think that there are opportunities in this pro-union administration we got to post our but then we get into the UAW stuff we, like, like yeah. the whole ua the whole uaw thing makes it so much more complicated actually well we'll talk about that on the other side you listen to whiv lp new orleans 102.3 uh whiv 102.3 uh fm.org slash listen uh listen to good morning comrade we have jeff and diana hussein uh, who is a union staffer, uh, and she is joining me on the show to talk about uh, just sort of the the upcoming resurgence of uh, labor that's happening in this country and sort of ways that we can move it forward and some of the things that are holding us back potentially. 
Um, I do think it's interesting the sort of like you know the, you just mentioned we need to start posting our dubs a little bit a little bit harder, and you mentioned a little That's bit. That's right. Of you summed it up much more efficiently. Unions need to post their dubs more. Yeah, you got to post the dubs, but but also like you mentioned, the complicating factors that are happening with UAW. Can you get into what you mean by that a little bit? Well, I was I was referencing specifically like in terms of like Joe Biden being pro union, mm -hmm. and is that real? Like because obviously it gets complicated because. Oh. I mean, one, a lot of people would say that, oh, wow, he busted a strike, a rail strike that of last year or something like that. We talked about this a lot on the show. Mm -hmm. And like, we, I'm not exactly I don't exactly agree with the way the, the administration kind of advanced that sort of thing. But but I mean, again, this is, I mean, again, in the context of America, like Joe Biden is still better than most American presidents on the issue of unions. Yeah, right? I for sure. I think that is probably one of the biggest, like, black X's on the administration's yeah. labor record, for sure. I think it's a really hard argument to work around. I think it is one of those things, when I'm thinking specifically, like, you and I hear members who are engaged in and how they engage in politics. I think, to some degree, it's, it is, like, a little niche of a story. And I think it's important to be, like, you want to educate people and, like, making their decisions. And, like, it's definitely something we have to figure out how to have an organizing conversation about if we're trying to get union members to vote for Joe Biden so, Joe, you know, for so Donald Trump doesn't win. I just think it's something that, like, like what can you even say about that right and does it like but does it put like a period and we can no longer have a conversation on the biden administration and its ability to be pro-union you can't do i that. don't think so because mm -hmm. i think we still need to be like okay but like we still have to make sure that they don't do shit like that when they have a chance to step up for unions and it's like we have yeah. an agency in this we we can't just be like we're waiting for them by the nature of their goodwill we can't wait on that. Like, that's yeah. that's what I'm saying. And I think, like, union members are the people who got these people elected, whether it's by voting for them or by organizing voters and knocking doors for them. It is very important that we, like, flex and have them accountable throughout because, like, they can't win without us. And so I just think that, like, like it is in our power to have agency with this relationship. And it's important that they know that they owe that to us. That they and know so, that they yes. don't get elected without us. But the, unfortunately, right now, the way that things seem to, seem to work is that the Democrats are like, well, I guess, you know, you have to vote for us. We can't do anything. And they sort of take us for granted. If you, yes, you know what I mean. Yes, for sure. And I, I, I would say I even see a positive trend in like how Biden's been trying to navigate that because like they're mm -hmm. out there owning Bidenomics, which I think is a little cheesy. Except from them. There's something about it coming from them. I don't think anyone, we shouldn't be out there like Bidenomics. No union should be like hashtag Bidenomics. No toolkit to ever say Bidenomics. <laughs> but them kind of like tongue in cheek owning it and then being like, here are whatever the three pillars of Bidenomics and one of them being like being pro union and increasing unionization. Like, like I think that that's like they're trying to do something with that. And I just think like it's the Democrats on the rest of the ticket, like. The, the folks we need to hold the senate and win back the house that need to just like overall figure that out and like take the leadership and you see it play out when you look at who's gone to the uaw strike right i don't think that's an accident i think that anyone that's going to the uaw strike especially if it's not in their district bro Kana, you want to run for president one day and you need the current <laughs> face of the party to see you out there doing that it is shocking to me 
shocking to me that Hakeem Jeffries showed up to a picket line wearing a 1917 t-shirt. Listen, <laughs> I'm shocked that Hakeem Jeffries went out there and endorsed I'm not mad Ilhan. About it. He felt they're endorsing Ilhan Omar. Yeah, oh my god. He's going to try challenging that. So I wonder what's that? What's that? What what's going to happen next? Like <laughs> APAC doesn't play. Like, I nah. don't know. We can't, we don't have to go we into that. that oh, okay. Or not. Um, but I, I, it is something that is a little bit interesting. So, I can, Nancy I can Pelosi. Hell, Mr. Strikebreaker himself, Barack Obama, is out there saying these companies make too much money. I think it goes yeah. back to what we were saying earlier that, like, that, like, that recognition that like they are making so much money we can't even comprehend this number of billions mm -hmm. and like we're living pay we're struggling to pay rent like why is my housing going up and they're just richer and richer and going to space like going i can't afford food i just got my credit card declined like i had to borrow money for a coworker. like what is this and so i just think that it's gotten so like internalized by the masses and like i don't want to say mainstream but mm -hmm. it is 75 percent of america is sympathetic so with auto workers on strike over the auto companies Whew. that is that is 75 percent of people you can't get 75 percent of people to uh, agree that they like ice cream no <laughs> i think the closest i've seen is big pharma and not even that much of a of a divide like it's incredible mm -hmm. And it's 75%. because it doesn't matter the party. That's what that's the that's the thing that Democrats can't concede is that unions are above just like abortion. It's above per partisan lines. Like it it's not something that should be politicized because it's like real, like impacting our livelihoods and our existence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and sort of we. I don't know. I, you, you you mentioned that there's this this momentum and there's this sort of uh this sort of wave and resurgence of at least the popularity of the labor movement that's not necessarily been converted into like more membership but can, how how can we sort of convert that at least into a atmosphere where we can continue that that snowball effect yeah. to continue that um to continue that sort of growth of of the not just the, the 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 political strength of the unions and the popularity of unions, but also the most important thing, which would be the membership of unions. Yeah. How do we sort of make that conversion? Which is, I think, um, I think it's. I mean, I guess if if either of us had the answer to that question, we would, I know, right? We would... No, I got it. It's one plus one equals two. So no, yeah. it's it's very nuanced. You got to do a lot. There's a lot that has to happen. But I think it really comes down to like the fact that what we're seeing happening is just the start in my opinion some people yeah. think like we really got to latch on and we blah 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 but if you think about it like real true successful organizing takes time and like hot chops are great and we want to capitalize on the momentum and keep that going but we can't rely on it to be how we grow our numbers like you're gonna win you're gonna lose too and i think we need to also go in understanding that like the risk of losing should never be what sets us back Shout out Chris Smalls for organizing what they respond like 30%. Like that is bold. And I think that <laughs> that kind of like thinking and mentality and feeling and trust in, in your in your kind of um committee. 
One of the most like amazing really... things I've ever seen happen is whatever. I mean, there's a lot of people that say a lot of stuff about Smalls, but that is one of the most amazing things that I've ever seen it's, happen. It's ever. just, it's a story. It's really cool. <laughs> it was really cool to watch that vote count. Like I, it's, it, it's stupid. We watched it on Zoom like it was a sporting event, but yeah, you know, I it was think crazy. it's it was crazy because, like, Yeah, it was, it was crazy because they had two votes that day. They had the RW vote and they had the the. Yeah, and I, I, I think I think it's unfortunate because I think the RW vote was in its own way historic. It just happened, oh, happened yeah. that same day and feel like a loss oh, compared to a win. But to have that close of a of a difference happen after that first vote and then to get that much closer in Alabama is in also Alabama. significant. And I and I think that like I don't think there's like a, a right or wrong when it comes to like independent unions coming in in, in more and more these days yeah. or like legacy unions i don't think there's a right or a wrong i think what works for the workforce is what's important and so i think you really want to like just rein in and support it all yeah, we're but all on the I same just, side here yeah yeah we're all on the same side here i mean that's all I'll yeah no i i think it's very exciting um yeah, I forgot. I was like going on a train of thought when I have like I went off the rabbit Sorry, hole of like, right. remember when Chris Smalls and folks like we shout out to the whole committee there that really like organized their coworkers in the right way to win that. Mm-hmm. Like I know um, one of my coworkers' son, um, Cassio, was one of them. I want to give Cassio a shout out. So shout out to Cassio. Um, so uh, you, you mentioned again the momentum. You know, one thing that I really want to like go more into is this question of momentum right now, because I think that what we're seeing is like the big, sexy strike headlines and like the new industry unions in big ways. But I think what is happening too across the labor movement is like the underground organizing that we're not going to know about for even a few more years. I think the numbers are going to come over time and not overnight. We're going to see like a burst and I think it's going to play out. And the more we can like engage in this real public facing ways and support the UAW to where it's forcing Congress people and, and like celebrities to engage and be supportive Mm -hmm. publicly because it is like the, the the public favor the favorable thing to do and by 75 percent of america sympathizing with auto workers on strike i think it's going to play out over the course of years and i think that's what's cool about it because like people who are just coming out of their first union and organizing their say coffee shop in a few years are going to be people who are going to organize and train and lead and recruit and just have more and more of it Across the board, they're what when they do the coffee shop. Organizers is not what we have. We have not enough experienced organizers out in the world. That's why we're not growing it enough. We need more veterans. We need more veteran organizers. We need more like yeah, experience. Like well, like like people have been through it for a minute. You know. Yeah, totally. And 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 again, like this momentum could also. We mentioned RWDSU in Alabama not long ago. Uh, this is something that also can potentially break into, and I know that there's been a lot of sort of considerate consideration for investment in uh, organizing in the South um, by a lot of these unions. Ooh, I, mean, I love talking about organizing in the South. Yeah, I mean, like like even though that RWDSU uh, and the Amazon facility in Bessemer was ultimately a defeat, um, they. <laughs> They definitely sent organizers down and they definitely built up something that was uh, 
that was one not expected and then two mm -hmm. like something that could potentially branch off into other things and i don't know what do you, in, in terms of like what what sort of like the future of, of organizing in the south looks like um what are your thoughts well i have two things i want to share one real quick um it's cool unite here sent organizers from like other parts that we represent in the south including like georgia to bessemer in solidarity with um rw um dsu i think it was about 25 folks who then went on to lead their own canvas teams to help win georgia senate seats so i think that's like one interesting cool way that like the experience of solidarity in the labor movement gave people more you know they did like house visits and stuff in Bessemer that in a sense they were doing door knocking in the same way in Georgia to like win for Warnock. So I think that's really cool. But two, I think this one you're going to be much more interested in talking about is I really like the example of like what's possible organizing in the South when I think about New Orleans and its hospitality industry, because in terms of like really high density tourist markets in the U S like, I would say New Orleans is probably among the lowest hospitality industry density right now. Oh, yeah. However, I think that's going to change a lot in the next coming years just because of what I'm seeing. And one cool example is that in the last year, workers that do the concessions and serve fans at the stadium and arena in New Orleans um, unionized and won their first super amazing contract that like saw like the standard of these jobs like like raised so high now and so what's possible for other workers in the area is like now higher and it's really cool like i can't get into all of it because like i said underground organizing is happening but i will say like new orleans is the city to keep an eye on its hospitality industry and hamilton nolan wrote a really good article on it um that's worth checking out can i just tell you really quickly you um so our mutual friend April. We went to a April. We went to a Pelicans game last December, and when we went to the concession stand, it was just like seeing the people at the uh, concession stand with their Unite Here pins. It was just like, yeah, <laughs> just so cool. I love when my members are buttoned up in the world, and I'm like, yes. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I don't know, it's just the coolest thing. Just like seeing it and you just like point it out and they're just like, yeah, union, we love the union. It's just great. It's so beautiful. I'm obsessed with like the culture of union buttons like that because like it's so cool and like members like from different locals like exchange buttons. I had a researcher, a director, uh, research director like swing by my office today and like drop off like a whole handful of like um old school unite here actually h-e-r-e buttons that i'm gonna put on my button corkboard in my office like i love that shit it's like really kind of like a cool thing to hold on to about the labor movement mm -hmm. so when i see members yeah. like buttoned up like in dc i see it all the time and i'll learn that like this this like property at a hotel or whatever is not necessarily going through a fight they're not like mm -hmm. being organized to button up they're just like super proud union members who like to show that off every day at, at their jobs. And I'm like, they, they love their, their absolute like right to wear their oh, union God. button proudly.
Oh my god, I love that. People that wear union, like I, I don't know. I was one of those people in all the school teacher. I would be wearing my my blue JMT t shirt all the time or whatever. You know, That's even right. like in my new job, I've gotten so many purple shirts over the past nine months that I just don't know what to I do mean, with like, them all. Union drip is legit cool. Yeah. Like it's wild. Like you could go to all those like resell like online stores and like that's getting more expensive i mm. actually i keep a search alert for unite here on ebay so anytime somebody posts something yeah, that is unite yeah. here on it i get an email and so i just kind of monitor like who's who's selling some of our shit's very funny but can i tell you what i see repeatedly that is like the most in stock on ebay that's getting resold by people what? more than any other unite here um swag what is it it's so funny jeff you're gonna laugh it's Unite Here for Obama t-shirts. Oh! <laughs> That's incredible. Let me tell you, that is a ridiculous item to own. If you think about how things unfolded with Obama and the labor movement and unions, specifically Unite Here, who is really invested in union health care and Obama and the Cadillac tax. It's just like really funny and kind of it's, unique relic and it's obama unite here for obama it's like shirts having, and buttons all the time on ebay i was having this conversation with somebody recently and it's just become one of these kinds of things and i don't know if, if you don't want to talk about that that's okay but like um there there is just so many people in the sort of democratic left and also in the union left that have despite everything like positive feelings towards obama and it's just like who you oh i don't know i just talk to him all the time like I mean, I don't, I'm not going to name names, but I mean, there. I just. Oh, I'm like talking like I'm like I. I thought it's like a pretty widely acknowledged thing, but it might be maybe I'm in a bubble. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> but like, 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 but, but I mean, again, the reality is that, like, again, he was didn't deliver. I mean, EFCA was DOA, you know. <laughs> I mean, and like, literally, we could even go into things that he's done since then, like, yeah, like, and, and like. Talking um, to essentially NBA. like break the NBA strike. Yeah. Like there was a moment. Do you know what would have happened if the NBA players actually like went somewhere with that strike? Like that's like the SAG strike where it's like people that people know. And like of all the pro sports leagues, like the NBA, I think in particular, would have had a mm -hmm. real like powerful impact like more than any like in that moment in the bubble in the mm -hmm. height of the pre-vaccine pandemic there was something there coming off the george floyd uprisings like mm -hmm. and then obama put that flame out oh, like that yeah, like yeah. are you kidding me man come on that. man he did that with the nba strike and then he did that with bernie so like he's still got so much clout it's so, I don't want to get started on Obama. <laughs> I mean, he did that with the DNC chair race between Tom yeah. Perez and Keith Ellison. He was calling yeah. the floor of that DNC day of voting, mm -hmm. like whipping votes that, and within the hours of them voting. It was just like, he puts his thumb on the scale when he wants to. He's got so much clout that just sort of like. He not, only I mean, uses it when it's about like maintaining like this like existing bubble of his world of power and like that's it like his like place in it like he never was somebody that got anywhere and got to where he was because he was like still that like community grassroots organizer who yeah. like loved Marx in college like no. he decided he, he, he wanted to like play by the rules and figure out how they were to his advantage uh, like off the 
whatever it expends yeah. of actual movement building. And he got really good. And this is why Obama was so good was because he got really good at speaking about like he, he was talking about it, but never being about it. And that was him to a hundred percent. He defined that. And mm. I think that's where going back to Biden, people can be frustrated about and feel like we need more. But if you side by side, Biden is 10,000 more <laughs> pro-union and effectual in that way than is that a word affecting effectful effective Effective. jeez it's late um effective (laughs) about union stuff morning morning. i don't even know what time i don't know what time it is my my days are a blur these days (laughs) it's because it's because labor movement is so um on fire right now that like we we don't get sleep Union yeah. staffers don't get enough sleep. They, like mm-hmm. workers are too mobilized these days. Yeah. Anyway, and this sort of like last little bit um, that sort of we can, you know, we can sort of like wind it down a little bit. But um, there is, oh, there I'm is. Just getting started. This is fun. Oh, 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 let's go. Let's do a double episode. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, in in terms of, um, I don't know, when it comes to the sort of like next. Like so, we see UAW. We see. Um, we see. Shout out <laughs> to the Teamsters who didn't have to strike. Yeah, shout, yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute. The, so the Teamsters, there. I mean, obviously, there were our favorite people over, like at that, like love to make a bunch of noise on Twitter.com or whatever about like, oh, why this is why the you know union leadership or whatever sold out to you know for this contract or whatever. But I mean, they got huge concessions and they got, I mean, a much better situation. Um, I mean, obviously, neither of us are neither of us spoke people for Teamsters. But I mean, the idea that like going on strike necessarily is a victory, like getting the contract is a victory. Right. right. And if it takes going on strike, strike, it's still it's still a victory. I don't think it's mm-hmm. less of a victory if you do or don't have to go on strike. I think right. it feels more emotional of a victory if you've gone out on strike because of yeah. just how hard that is. And like I don't want to take any power away from the people who go out on strike because they oh, have to. But I think there is also like, you know, the whole point shouldn't be to go on strike. Like yeah. you ultimately like that you you have to go in knowing that that is your tool you have in your toolbox. But, like, not having to use it, that's great, you know? And so you really want to have all the momentum in your favor up until and, like, as if you're going out on strike. And that's what the Teamsters did. And in terms of concessions, like, here's the thing. Like, I feel like concessions and, like, your demands that you're public about, depending on, like, how big or small it is, like, you have to, like, think about it because... I feel like there is part strategy to go super, super bold. And like, I think it might be with like the UAW and the 32 hour work week in Mm -hmm. particular. I think, I think it's a conversation to really go bold about specific work schedules when you want to probably have, you want to try to win this. And so you want to start the conversation by saying like, we're talking about how many hours of work because workers in the auto industry are getting like overtime and forced and overworking. So I think they're trying to go like, well, no, we're not doing that. In fact, we're going here because I do think there's like a negotiation that happens. Mm -hmm. So I think like you wouldn't go up and ask your boss for a raise and be like the exact amount that you would 
win for. And so like, I think there is also, you can have a debate on whether or not you agree with that strategy and that's absolutely fair. But I don't think I want to say that like they lost in any way per se. No, the membership agreed to it. That's a victory. Uh, That's what's important. So you mentioned the 32 hour work week point, which I think went just by the nature of asking that. So you there the t- two of the major demands that the UAW are rolling out are a 40% um pay increase which is which essentially put them back on schedule for what they gave up in previous contracts when the government essentially had to bail out the auto industry and the workers are the ones that took a bath and the they CEOs Obama. got yeah, thanks, Obama. They took uh, private jets to their meetings and then had to drive to, to they had to drive to Florida from Detroit in the funniest display ever. It was so funny. But but this is a this is going maximalist on what your pay demand is and also opening up another general question that the entire rest of the working class can actually sink their hooks into. Which is the forty-hour work week? Which is I? I mean, I don't. I think it's too much. <laughs> I don't know. I, and it also like rolls it back and it makes work less of a dominant, like overwhelming part of your life. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think, I think for sure. Like I think ultimately we want to be going in that right direction. I don't think culturally we're there. I don't think that yeah. people are willing to give that up in like terms of their power to concede that. Like, yeah, we can win less work per week. Um, it's so installed in our heads, like 40 hour, eight hour, blah, blah, blah. But I do think like that is, yeah. So I think it's, it's strategy to go bold. And then, but I do think, I think that the wage thing, I feel like they could win. And yeah, like the, the work week thing, I don't think is 32 hours going to be the victory. Like, that's just like my theory on things, because I feel like right now the thing is like wages are possible, I've seen it with the hospitality contracts. We're winning insane gains. Like, like we have just like those Compass Food Service workers in DC just won something that was like the most wage gains they've ever won in a like term of a contract, like ever, like just like by like some combined number times two or something like that. <laughs> it's like inc- incredible, like for like dishwashers and housekeepers and like what's possible. And like, you know, it's, it's really cool. Like going back to talking about like organizing the South, like the way the UAW is inspiring in a real way to show what's real and what's possible. If you're willing to go bold and not be like that fourth wall is up and we can only ask for this much and have to be grateful for it. We, I got a call my phone because I think my, my, I shouldn't say this, but I got a call. And it's like, so sometimes I get like kind of calls, like when people are trying to contact Unite here, they somehow come across me. And so it was a voicemail. I'll send it to you, Jeff. Like I'll share it with you because it, Play it, on it, the it air. was like, <laughs> I, I won't do that, but I'll describe it because I was, I was like riding the bus, listening to this on my AirPods, like trying not to tear up because it was this man he sounded a little older. He described like 25 years in the hospitality industry. He's worked in New York City. He's worked across the country. Um, he's worked in union um, um, properties and he's very pro-union and he talked about solidarity. And he said like, you know, I just feeling really just inspired and watching the solidarity UAW strikes. 
And he's like, you know, I oh saw God. you all were doing UA solidarity with UAW too. And I think that was really cool. So I looked you up. I'm in Arlington, Texas. So I found you guys. I'm in Texas. I'm, I can do things in DFW and I can do things in Austin. I really want to figure out how to get involved. Like, like I want to just talk, whether it's like working with whatever you have going on or figuring out like where to organize or like, he's just like offering like the real substance that you would want to like talk through when someone's like, I want to organize, but like you have to ask questions, right. To see how like real and like, you know, and, you know, just really like get into it and like find out like what, what what's possible and what they're really interested in doing. This person was like all the right cues, like everything, boom, boom, boom. And he just, it was so cute because he was, he had a real thick Texas accent talking about solidarity, <laughs> talking about working in this hospitality like industry. Yeah. And, you know, I just thought UAW strikes. I saw you all put, you know, we're out there with them. And, you know, this is really cool. And, like, it's just so sweet. And this, like, older Southern man talking about organizing. I think that's something. Like, that doesn't just, like, happen overnight. Like, that's, like, a result of, like, what what's going on in, in this moment. I'm picturing like Bobby Hill like going and like saying I'm gonna be become a member of the union and like Hank Hill being like oh no not myself. <laughs> I actually just remembered because I passed it along to um local 23 who's the who represents the Texas chapter of our union and I wanted to make sure we had like somebody who was able to be actually able to reach out to him before I like called him back and said anything. And I got the okay to say like, Hey, someone's going to be reaching out, but I got to put it in my um, to-do list to remember to do it tomorrow. Yeah. Well, this is live action breaking news happening. Yeah, on, no, uh, on it's very <laughs> sweet though. Like who knows? Maybe Unite Here is going to start having a presence in Arlington, oh, Texas. I love it. Well, um, Diana Hussein, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me on the show. You are always welcome to come on and just talk about the labor movement, pro wrestling, baseball. Uh, what else do we? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, do. for sure. No, this is this is fun. I appreciate you letting me just come on and like talk about oh. like let's talk about what's yeah. fun in labor these days. And I definitely I feel like we barely even. Hit the surface. surface of thing. Yeah, yeah, there's so so much we could dig into, and I would love to come back and chat through with you more of what's happening with um unions these days. You sure are right. There is a lot. Oh my god! We- can I just describe what I'm seeing right now on the screen? Jeff's yeah, cat flick can. is going crazy for attention. He's getting <laughs> all the pets, and he is not. He is He's not, not letting go. Up. Oh my god! He is petting himself on Jeff's mic, on Jeff's face. He is he so happy right now. He headbutts you if you don't pet him. Oh my god, that's so much like my cat Calvin. Shout out Calvin in Michigan, my orange boy. You're a good cat. I love you, baby. Cowboy. You, Cowboy. Shout out Calvin. Well, thanks, Diana. And uh, yeah, you can listen to Good Morning. Is there anything you want to shout out? You can listen. You can follow her on Twitter at Heya Diana. Um, is hey, there anything Diana. else you want to shout out? um i not not at the moment um just keep keep organizing keep supporting workers go unions yeah, yeah. thanks and thanks so much it's always great talking to now you. i'm looking into your cat's butt sorry <laughs> he's very Wait. proud he's very proud he's not he's not backing down from that either that was Wait. the close-up he put it right in front of the camera <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> you can listen to Good Morning Comrade every every Saturday at 10 a.m. in New Orleans, WHIV-FM uh, 102.3. You can listen to uh, anywhere in the world, WHIV-FM.org slash listen. Uh, get more information about the show, WHIV-FM.com. Thanks so much. We love you. Bye-bye. Good morning, comrades. <laughs>